morning, church. How you going? Good? Um, I get to finish off the series today, as Jolie was saying, and it's been an incredible series. And I, when I first started speaking, I always thought, um, I will never, ever preach from Revelation. I will never do that. And now we've done a series on it, and I have to close it out. And uh, so that's been challenging and eye-opening, and uh, we found such good teaching if, um, if, you're, if it's your first time this morning, we've actually been looking at the seven letters that's found to the churches in Revelation. And uh, we've gone through each week, found out a little bit about the place. Uh, in most letters, there was an encouragement of, I, I see this, that you're doing really well. And then, in, and then there was kind of a correction where God would say, but can we work on this? But keep going, there's going to be a reward. Last week's letter had no correction. They were like top-notch church, no correction. They're just like, you're just doing so well, so well. And this week, there's no encouragement. <laughs> you kind of, you could be forgiven for thinking, Jesus, you got around the wrong way. Us, um, we like to end our stories at a great ending and a crescendo. And But um, at first glance, it's all doom and gloom for um, Laodicea. That's the church that we're talking about this morning. But if we look closely, it's a compelling and beautiful and grace-filled ending where Jesus just draws us to himself and calls the church to himself. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to jump straight into letter number seven. And it's, to, it's in Revelation 3 verses 14 to 22. If you don't have your Bible, that's fine. It'll be on the screen. Write to Laodicea, the angel of the church, God's yes, the faithful and the accurate witness, the first of God's creation says, I know you inside and out, and I find little to my liking. You're not cold and you're not hot. Far better to be either cold or hot. You're stale, you're stagnant, you make me want to vomit. You brag, I'm rich, I've got it made, I need nothing from anyone. Oblivious that, in fact, you're pitiful, blind, beggar, threadbare, and homeless. Here's what I want you to do. Buy your gold from me, gold that's been through the refiner's fire. Then you'll be rich. Buy your clothes from me, clothes designed in heaven. Thank you, Jesus. You've uh, gone around half naked for long enough. And buy medicine for your eyes from me so that you can see, really see. The people I love, I call to account. I prod and correct and guide so that they'll live at their best. Up on your feet then, about face, run after God. Look at me, I stand at the door and I knock. If you hear me call, I'll open the door, I'll come right in and I'll sit down to supper with you. Conquerors will sit alongside me at the head table, just as I have conquered, took the place of honor at the side of my father. That's my gift to the conquerors. Are your ears awake? Listen, listen to the wind words, the spirit blowing through the churches. Uh, Is there anything in your world that just makes you sick? This is something Jesus was talking about. I know in my life, there's, there's, uh, for anyone who's ever had breakfast with me knows there's something that just makes me sick. And, uh, and, and it all happened when my, my childhood best friend and I, at about 14 or 15, 
decided we were going to get fit. If I had a dollar for how many times I was going to do that. Anyway, but this time we were really going to get fit. And so we picked a day that we were going to start getting fit. And uh, she lived in Macquarie Hills at the time. And so we decided that we'd go for a huge run around Macquarie Hills. And the name is pretty self-evident. There are so many hills on that run. We were nearly dying by the time that we got back. And uh, she goes, I'll go get us some water. I went, no, no, don't get water. I've watched this movie, Rocky, and he drinks raw eggs after his run. So we're going to drink raw eggs. She looks at me and agrees, yeah, that's a great idea. And so we go in and we crack half a dozen raw eggs into a cup for each other. And lactic acid is swirling through our body. And we decide to try and scull these raw eggs. And it didn't last very long for myself before I projectiled these raw eggs across her kitchen. And now whenever I get eggs anywhere, if there's even a skerrick of uncooked egg, I'm like... So it just makes me sick. And Jesus is here going, this makes me sick to this church. Pretty offensive. But so often we hear this piece of scripture in relation to activity. And I know that that is the case for when I was growing up. I heard this piece of scripture spoken. And it was always, I think the, um, the preacher would always use it when like morale was low on teams or there was not enough numbers to serve or anything. They go, are you hot or are you cold? You're lukewarm. You need to serve. And... And whether you, if you were the hot, enthusiastic Christian, you were on every team, you were at every prayer meeting, you were at leaders meeting, you were here first, you left last, you were on everything you could possibly do, and you were hot. And those who were not uh, just came to church, got their fix and left. But those lukewarmers were kind of talked about as in, you used to be hot, but now you're not, and that makes Jesus sick. It seems absurd that Jesus would finish off the letters to the churches in Revelation at the end of the New Testament and totally contradict the whole rest of the New Testament. Because all of the New Testament, Jesus was trying to tell the people that stop trying to work your way to me. Stop it. It's over and done with. Don't, you don't have to do anything. Just rest in me. And so in context of the rest of the New Testament, I would, I'd like to suggest, and there's a lot of scholars and people who've written on this that would suggest exactly the same, that the hot was not activity in the over-enthusiastic Christian, but hot was grace and cold was law. And the thing that was making him sick was this mixture of a little bit of grace and a little bit of law. And he's looking at church going, and in some other versions of this, it says, I see your works, but there's nothing to my liking. And so with this in mind, we have a church who is mixing grace and mixing law. And if you're taking notes this morning, I've titled this message, uh, Church Mix a Lot. And uh, for any 19, yeah. I said that to Luke, and I'm like, do you get it? And he said, no. I said, that's because you had to listen to church music all your life. Sir Mix-a-Lot. Does anyone know who Sir Mix-a-Lot was? 
Oh, good. Thank you. All right. Church fix a lot. That's our message this morning. And um, in light of this, we're going to have a look at what is lukewarm. If grace is hot and law is not, what's lukewarm? It's a people who mix a little bit of grace and a little bit of law. Enough grace for salvation, but living by the law to keep their salvation. They believe that Jesus has some things covered, but he requires their help to get other things over the line. People who preach that you're saved by grace, but you must live right to keep it or you're done. Those who measure how well they're going by how much they do for God, how well they keep the rules, how much is their behavior adding up, this makes Jesus sick. So if you can turn with me to Galatians 4. Galatians is actually a whole book that's dedicated to this, uh, to a church in Galatia that was mixing law and grace. And, And Paul talks to these guys and he's like, you crazy Galatians. You crazy Galatians, why have you so quickly turned away from the message of grace? Why are you listening to people who say that you have to do this or you have to do that? And in Galatians 4, Paul brings about the story of Abraham. And to give you context while you're turning that, Abraham is one of the forefathers of the faith. And God had given him a, a great and grand promise. And there was three aspects of, of his promise, that he would be a great father, because his name, when before God changed his name, it was Abram, which meant father, but then he changed his name to Abraham, and that meant great father. And so God changed his name and said, you're going to be a great father, you're going to be a great people, and you're going to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. Huge promise for a guy who doesn't have any kids. And there was, a, there was a, a big barrier to that promise. And it's that his wife, Sarah, Abraham's wife, Sarah, was barren. Hard promise to try and fulfill when you promised lots and lots of kids, but your wife's barren. And so uh, along the way, Sarah just gets fed up with, I know the promise. I know what God's promised us, but it just doesn't look like it's going to happen. Someone's got to do something. And so Sarah gets her slave woman, um, Hagar, and uh, she says, Here, Abraham, sleep with my slave, then you will have a son. And I know it's not how we exactly thought it would be, but we'll see the promise come forward. And so Abraham does that, and he sleeps with her servant, Hagar, and, and she has a son named Ishmael. And God comes and visits Abraham again and says, that's not what I promised you. I promised you that you would have a son by your wife, Sarah. And so for many years, it was actually after that 13 years, God didn't speak to Abraham until they got to a very, very old age where it was completely impossible for Sarah and Abraham to have a kid, if you know what I'm talking about. And... At that point, when all human effort was completely expelled, Sarah conceives a child and has a son named Isaac. And in Galatians 4, we see Paul recounting this story to the Galatians. He's gone through four chapters of going, how could you get it wrong? Here, let me show you something. And in Galatians 4, 21 to 31, we pick up, he says, tell me now. You who have become so enmored with the law, have you paid close attention to that law? Meaning, do you know what's really required? 
Abraham, remember, had two sons, one by the slave woman and one by the free woman. The son of the slave woman was born by human connivance and the son of the free woman was born by God's promise. This illustrates the very thing we're dealing with now. The two births represent two ways of being in relationship with God. One is from Mount Sinai in Arabia. It corresponds with that with what is going on now in Jerusalem, a slave life producing slaves as offsprings. This is the way of Hagar. In contrast to that, there's an invisible Jerusalem, a free Jerusalem, and she is our mother, and this is the way of Sarah. See, Paul's recounting this story to tell the Galatians, remember that there's two sons. And those two women... Hagar and Sarah represent the two covenants, that of law and that of grace. And to make it a little bit easier for you, I've got a that's hot and that's not list. Have we got it there? Oh, we do. That's hot, that's not. Okay, so that's hot comes through grace through Jesus at Calvary. And this is what Paul's saying to them. There's two ways here. Why are you trying to mix them? And that's not comes through law at Moses. We see that grace came from the free woman, but law came from the slave woman. The law was written on stones, but, but by the Holy Spirit, grace is written on our hearts. Law focuses on our imperfection, but grace only sees his perfection when we're looked at. Law requires human efforts, the enthusiastic Christian, where grace just rests in Jesus' sacrifice. Law demands righteousness. Grace supplies righteousness. Law was born from the flesh, but grace was born out of promise. Law requires merit, but grace gives mercy. Law accumulates moral debts, and with grace, all debts are cleared. Laurel, you have to earn your way. Grace, you're freely given. That's hard. You can see the two covenants couldn't be further apart. They could not be further from each other. And just as Sarah knew the promise that Abraham was to be a great father, would establish a great people and be a blessing to all nations of the earth, she believed the promise, didn't believe God could make it happen. And how often do we do this in our lives? We believe that Christ is enough for our salvation, but I'm not sure if he can get anything else over the line without my help. It says in Genesis that Sarah actually laughed when she heard the promise. You can picture it. She was actually standing inside the tent when she heard the angel of the Lord talking to her husband and she laughed. And the angel said, are you laughing? And Sarah took on the way of the world because you might think it's unusual that you would offer um, a slave girl to your husband, but that's exactly what the women of that day would do. If they were barren, they'd just offer their slave to their husband, and that's the way they'd have a family. Sarah tried to mix the bondage of slavery with the promise of God and expected that she would inherit 
freedom. But God doesn't need your help, church. He wants your heart. He doesn't need your help. He doesn't need you running around like a crazy, angry ant because you need to help God all the time. He doesn't need your help. He wants your heart. If God promised it, it's up to him to produce it. It's our job to wait and rest and listen to the Holy Spirit and be ready to answer when he calls. But it's not our job to try and play God in our lives. And this example from Sarah is the very thing that makes Jesus sick. It's as though Jesus was saying, what part of my sacrifice wasn't enough? Should I only only have been dead two days? Would have that covered it and you can do the rest? Or should I have not gone to the cross? Was my death not useful? Have you got this covered? It makes him sick to think about everything that he went through, what you think is not enough for him. But freedom comes through Christ and Christ alone. And this church in Laodicea, I dare say, and the Western church at large today, they were doing the same as what Sarah did. They knew the promises of God, but they would try and attain them through, through, through human effort. They knew that Jesus saves, but thought it was up to them to do the rest. They relied on what they produced. It says they, I'm rich. Hashtag blessed. I don't need nothing. Resting on their laurels. I've got everything covered. Jesus saves. I do the rest. But Jesus, but just like Sarah, we can look at the promise and look at the circumstances and say, well, God's not showing up. I guess it's my move. My move. It goes on to say in Galatians 4, where Paul's still talking to them, he says, remember what Isaiah wrote. Rejoice, barren woman who bears no children. Who's that? That's Sarah. Shout and cry, woman who has no birth pains, because the children of the barren woman now surpass the children of the chosen woman. You know what? People under grace shout for what they know, not what they see. When was the last time you rejoiced in the promise that was still far off? When was the last time you shouted for joy over a promise that was so far on the horizon you could hardly make it out? When was the last time you chose to talk about the promise rather than your problem? And what's standing in the way and what's not happening? Sarah laughed at the problem, probably talked about her barrenness every single day. Imagine if she just rejoiced. Thank you, Father, for the promise. Thank you, Jesus, that I will have a son, that all your promises is up to you to produce. In 2 Corinthians 3, verse 18, it says, And we are all who with unveiled faces contemplate contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with an ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You mightn't be where you want to be, but it's not up to you to get there. 
It says that we are to look and gaze upon Jesus and let him change, being forever becoming more like Jesus from glory to glory to glory. It is not our works that will ever get us to the promise. It's only his faithfulness. And I wonder when was the last time you shouted over, yes, Father, I may still have this addiction, but I can see on the horizon that it's starting to let go of its grips. I may still have this depression, but I see joy on the horizon. I'm going to shout because there is healing on the horizon. There's finances on the horizon. There's a salvation for my family on the horizon. And I can't see it, but I know that I know that I know that God promised it. He'll produce it. He'll produce. It's not our job. It's time to start to shout for what you know, not what you see. With grace, it is finished. Under law, well, we're working on it. He goes on to say, isn't it clear, friends, that you, like Isaac, that was the son of promise, are children of promise. In the days of Hagar and Sarah, the child who came from the faithless connivance, Ishmael, harassed the child who came empowered by the Spirit from the faithful promise, Isaac. Isn't it clear that the harassment you are now experiencing from Jerusalem heretics follows that old pattern? There's a scripture that tells us what to do. Expel the slave mother with her son, for the slave son will, will not inherit with the free son. Isn't that conclusive? We are not children of the slave woman, but of the free. You see what we're told to do there? Expel the slave mother and her son. Expel the law and everything it produces. Get it out of your house. The slave woman and the free woman cannot live under the same roof. That's what it's saying. It's get her out of your house. Notice that it says the slave with the free will not inherit. It doesn't say the slave and the free. It says the slave with the free. What's that? That's mixing together the slave with the free It's not going to inherit anything. The mixture of slave and free will not produce the kingdom of God. Hebrews 8 verses 6 to 13 says, But Jesus' priestly work far surpasses what these other priests do. Since he's working from a far better plan, if the first plan, the old covenant, had worked out, a second wouldn't be needed. But we know that the first one was found wanting because God said, heads up, the days are coming when I'll set up a new plan for dealing with Israel and Judah. I'll throw out the old plan. I'll set up with their ancestors when I led them by the hand out of Egypt. They didn't keep their part of the bargain, so I looked away and I let it go. This new plan I'm making with Israel is going, isn't going to be written on paper. It isn't going to be chiseled in stone. This time I'm writing out the plan in them, carving it on the lining of their hearts. I'll be their God and they'll be my people. They won't go to school to learn about me or buy a book called God in Five Easy Lessons. They'll get to know me firsthand, the little and the big, the small and the great. They'll get to know me by being kindly forgiven with the slate of their sins forever wiped clean. 
By coming up with a new plan, a new covenant between God and his people, God put the old plan on the shelf and there it stays gathering dust. How long are we going to try and work our way to God? How many prayers have we prayed that, well, God, I did this, so you have to do that. On the shelf, gathering dust is where the law needs to sit. And you might be thinking, but doesn't the law give us our moral compass? Doesn't the, how am I meant to, what am I meant to do? The law doesn't give you your moral compass anymore. The Holy Spirit gives you your moral compass. There weren't specific directions written for the circumstances that you're going to be in today. But there is someone who lives inside of you who knows exactly every move you need to make. And it just says, God is inviting you to know him personally. Not that the law would dictate how you relate to him, but you would listen, wait, rest, hear, move. Said that this is the scripture. Expel the slave mother. Get her out of your house. Get the son out of her house. Every bit of condemnation, everything that makes you feel bad about yourself, get it out of your house. And that's why we see at the end of the letter in Laodicea, we see Jesus say this Look at me. I stand at the door and I knock. If you hear me call, I'll open the door and I'll come right in and sit down to supper with you. I have heard that bit of scripture so many times used at the end of altar calls or services to call new Christians and that's great. But let us not forget, he used this in reference to talking to the church. He wasn't knocking on a heart of someone who didn't know him. This was a church who claimed that they were serving Jesus. And he says he's knocking on the door. He's outside. Why? Because the slave woman was sitting inside. Law was sitting inside trying to mix. And Jesus stands outside and he says, I'm knocking. I'm knocking. Anytime you hear my voice, I'm ready to come in. Anytime you're ready to give up working your way to me and just accept that I'm enough. I'm ready to come in. I'm not angry with you. I want to have supper. He says, the moment you finish entertaining that bondage in there, that old way, that slave driving, the law driven, working your way to righteousness, I'll be here on the porch. If you hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in. But you need to expel that slave woman and everything that comes along with her because it doesn't work together. We don't have another moment to waste entertaining our way of working our way to God. If today you heard that scripture and it says you're neither hot or cold, you're lukewarm, and you judged whether you were hot by what you do for God, you're entertaining the slave woman. Only Jesus makes us right. Nothing we ever do will ever make us right before God. And Sarah was saw the promise, knew there was something supernatural, but tried to produce it in the natural. You know, the simplest way I can describe grace this morning is total trust in Jesus. 
Trust that he's got your past covered, clean, wiped away. And trust that he's got your future covered. This morning, um, as I was preparing over the last few days, I really felt God tug on my heart to pray for people who know that there's a promise, who know that they know that they know. It could be a dream. It could be something that God's promised to you in a dream, in a prophecy. There could be a longing desire that you know that God promised you that. But it seems so far off in the distance that you've just either one, given up, or two, started working on it yourself. And I really want to pray for people this morning who know that they need a supernatural breakthrough in that realm, who just take off that thinking of, I have to work my way to God. He loves you. He loves you. Every last bit of you. And he, he does have a plan and he does have a future for you. But only the inheritance of freedom comes through grace, never law. And if Phil, you could come. I really believe that this is what God wants to pray for this morning. That people would be released again to believe supernatural things are on their way. You don't have to be constricted by your talents, your time, what you can do. There are supernatural things on the horizon. And it's time to sing and time to rejoice and time to shout for the promise of what you know, not the problem of what you see. It makes Jesus sick that you would focus on the problem. He's already overcome. So if you feel like your dream is barren, if you're, if you not, if anything, Anything you're praying for seems totally impossible, but you know that God promised it. I'd like you to stand. Because we serve a supernatural God who if He promised it, He'll produce it. Not your problem. Not your problem. Supernatural things are on their way. Supernatural things are on their way. Supernatural things are on their way. Supernatural breakthroughs on its way. Supernatural things, answers to prayer is on its way. Spiritual barrenness and physical barrenness is not going to be here forever. Because we serve a God who brings forth a child of promise. And Father, you see every heart and every dream. If you would, lift your hands towards heaven as an act of surrender. The Bible teaches us about this. We lift our hands, not as a works, because it's an act of surrender to Jesus. I speak into the spirit realm over these lives, Father, that where there, are, where there is barriers and where there are blockages and where there is the bondage of law, I break in the name of Jesus Christ that you have no reign or you do not belong in the house of the believer. Jesus, we open the door fully that you would have access to come in and dine. I speak to finances that need to be released in the spirit realm to be released. I speak to wombs that need to open, be opened in the name of Jesus. 
Jesus. I speak to family members that need to be saved. I declare that your heart knows salvation. I thank you for opportunities in music world, in business world, Father, that you need to open doors. I pray a supernatural release in Jesus' name. If that's you this morning, begin to say what you believe. Begin to rejoice over what you believe. I believe, Father, for revival in this city. I believe, Father, for families to be breakthrough. I believe, Father.